bridge to Terabithia. More like bridge to tears of Bithia, am I right? <laughs> Screenwriters, if you're listening, if you want to make your audience cry, kill a kid. Welcome to Film is Lit. <laughs> My name is Danny. I'm the self-appointed film expert. My name is Laura Sheher, and I'm the self-appointed literature expert. And this is a podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation this is a full spoilers podcast we're spoiling everything in the book and everything in the movie you have been warned today on the podcast we are covering bridge to terabithia written by katherine patterson written in 1977 and the movie of the same name which came out in 2007 some light family entertainment just put it on in the afternoon and cruise on by. Um, today is special because it's another guest episode. We always love having a guest on. Today on the pod, we have our dear friend, Sam Barnes. Sam, say hello. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Yay. We are so pumped to have you on. A long time coming, but finally, it has happened. Uh, you're a big book person. You have your own. Why don't you plug your uh, Instagram account? Oh, if yeah. You want to. Uh, I have a bookstagram. It's at bookstagram shmam. Uh, good luck with the spelling. <laughs> you can figure it out. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Sam, tell us a little about yourself and then let's get in. Let's get into the meat of this episode. Okay, sure. Um, so I grew up kind of everywhere and I loved to read no matter what. When I was a kid, we had like AR point goals. And that was like my whole being, my whole essence um, was to smash that goal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then throughout college, I kind of fell out of love with reading. And right before the pandemic, actually, I got back into it. And then luckily, I got to meet Danny and Laura. And surprise, Laura's a big reader. And then Danny's big with movies, which I love that too. So here we are. Nice. Yeah. And another thing that Sam and I connect on is we go thrift shopping for books mm -hmm. and we usually find like stacks of new books at the thrift store, which is fantastic because we don't have to pay full price for them and we can actually afford our, uh, our appetite for books. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's similar to, we go to the secondhand media store too. That's where we acquire all our Blu-rays and mm -hmm. vinyls. Cause if we bought those full price, we would, uh, we'd be broke. It's a very <laughs> expensive hobby yeah. for sure. But we got it. We got to feed that in order to keep this podcast going. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I was going to give a shout out to the bookstore that I bought Terabithia from. It's Village Wells Books in Culver City. So this we actually paid full price for, but it was okay because it was a children's book. So it was like six bucks or 12 bucks, whatever <laughs> it was. But I love that shop. So if anyone's in the Culver City area, you can go pick up any title there. They're really yeah. great. So third episode in a row where we've mentioned Village Well sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. We've been advertising you pretty heavily. <laughs> so yeah, we need some money. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's get into it. So Bridge to Terabithia. Man, oh man, it is a kid's book, but very mature, dealing with some heavy themes, uh, the heaviest being unexpected loss and the trauma that comes from that. This book was part of the reading program, I remember, in middle school, but I never had to read this before. So watching it the first time, I had no idea 
um, what to expect. So let's get into a little bit of a quick synopsis of the book. Um, yeah, I I don't know, Sam, do you want to do synopsis? I feel like you're more familiar than I am. <laughs> you can just uh, do a quick wrap up. Yeah, I can try. Um, so basically you meet Jess, who's like a lonely farm boy surrounded by women whose dad, mm-hmm. whose whole family pretty much neglects him. Um, and he's mm-hmm. very alone. And his like one thing is staked on winning the fifth grade running competition. Like guys worked all summer on his farm to be the fastest. And then this quirky little indie androgynous girl comes in next door and kind of shakes up his whole entire life. He finally has a friend. Life is great. They're also, he's also weirdly obsessed with his music teacher. <laughs> That's just like thrown in there, uh, which is very yeah. important in the end. But um, <laughs> yeah, so they get a nice friendship going and they create this whole world with each other and their imaginations. And it's like outlandish and fun and just really cool. And I think we've probably all had those experiences ourselves growing up, which is special. Um, and then you fall in love with the, this two little pair, this unstoppable duo and then one day that music teacher calls up farm boy Jess, takes him out of the city, and Leslie dies when she's trying to get into this Terabithia, this world that they've created. Then we just have like a really sad guy that can't cope with that loss. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's the book. So you you have yeah. a great time and then <laughs> death and tears. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yep. Yeah. I remember being around this age and every summer getting, you know, the prescribed list of books to read. And they got progressively heavier as they went on, as teachers were trying to introduce kids to these heavy topics of death and loss and depression and, and, and other uh, world issues. But like, as I said before, I did not read the book until just recently for this episode. So yeah, let's get into our, our journeys with the story. My mom rented the movie after it came out after theater, so in 2007, and it was advertised as this kids' fantasy film, which it is for about 75 percent uh, of, of this very short movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, the movie's only 90 minutes, uh, soaking wet. So, uh, yeah, there's it, it happens very quickly. But yeah, I sat down and watched it with my mom and dad when I was around the age of Jess. So it felt very personal and specific to me growing up. I also had woods right next to my house. So I would go there with my friends and we'd create these little scenarios, not magical kingdom scenarios, but more like assassin scenarios. And we'd film (laughs) these little home movies where it was like an assassin and a killer on the run and they'd fight in the forest. So it's very, very specific to me had no idea the turn it takes in the third act. And just like Jesse being shell-shocked about what happened, I was that same way while watching the story in that scene after his little date with Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about that later, how weird that is. Yeah, after that sexually charged weird date um, at the museum, that scene where his dad tells him that Leslie has died I, like Jess, went through the five stages of grief, of like denial. I thought what we were seeing wasn't true. And I was angry that we're seeing this because 
the whole movie wasn't, it didn't feel like that's where it was going, which I guess is the point. But yeah, I was totally shell-shocked by that. I didn't even, I couldn't even comprehend what had just happened by the time the credits rolled. And it was neat to revisit the film all these years later, knowing the twist, knowing what happens. I think it is very effective, although we can talk about how maybe the marketing was a little deceptive uh, for the film that ultimately comes out. So what about you, Lore? Uh, I was going to let Sam go next. <laughs> okay. I read this sometime in elementary school. I, Like I said earlier with the AR points, I was reading for points. It wasn't always to remember. Um, and I get that, yeah. I, I got the gist, but I think the first time I saw the movie, it was the same thing. Probably rented it from like Blockbuster still at the time. And I was 10. Mm -hmm. So I was the same age. And again, it hit close to home for me because I had, I lived in like the suburbs of Bakersfield. So no forest to be found but uh <laughs> there were a lot of empty lots in the up-and-coming neighborhoods so we would always kind of take those over pick up the scrap lumber and try to like make our little fort um never mm -hmm. a kingdom it was just like to get uh, away from the sweltering sun in Bakersfield <laughs> let's build a fort with tumbleweeds and boards <laughs> but I can remember watching the movie and immediately one, I was I was not like into boys yet, but I was like, ooh, Josh Hutcherson's kind of cute, but that's not why I like mm. the movie. And then I was like enraptured by Anna Sophia Robb. I was like, mm -hmm. I want to be this bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, look at her hair. Her style is crazy. Like I'd never seen that before. Um, mm -hmm. And I had read the book, but I don't think until it was put into me really visually seeing it that I understood like, oh, like, this is, like, big, and this could have been one of my friends. Like, I mm -hmm. can't imagine if we went to the fort, and then one day my, my friend Brock died. Like, that would just be yeah. crazy, yeah. and that's mainly what I remember. I also, my dad was definitely there watching it, and he think, he always thought that the girl that plays Maybell thought she was just, like, the cutest little kid, and she went on to play a lot of, like, yeah children in the movies at that time and I remember every time I just be like all I can think of is like Maybelle crying when Jess oh shoves my... her to the ground oh my gosh the entire movie I was just like she's the cutest fucking child mm -hmm. I have ever seen yeah yep <laughs> but yeah that's pretty much my that was like my early stuff and then I reread it again and watched it like yesterday and um, I've watched it again since then, but every time I cry, which mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just because death of a child in sudden is so hard or why, but every time I'm like, oh, and then you think you can I stop know. and then it's like, oh no, now the dad's hugging him. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I have a really similar uh, relationship, I think, with the movie that's very different from the book because I actually had never read or seen the movie until last week or last couple weeks, I guess. I started and finished the book on the plane to Massachusetts for um, our friend's wedding. And it was either because I was in transit or something, but it. I also knew that Leslie died because it's been out for 20 years. So, and the book has been out for 40. So, 
I it didn't get me. And what kind of struck me was how dated it felt. And I think it was especially because it like the genre is YA and we're, you know, a little more advanced now at this point. And also I think it was really that teacher moment when it's cute that he has a crush on her. And I think that's a very universal experience for both for all genders of little kids to have crushes on teachers. But the idea, even in the 70s, that a teacher would be able to call a child directly at their home and say, hey, like, get into my car. We're going alone (laughs) to a museum. Like that to me, like kind of took me out of the story a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then in my head, I was like, I almost immediately flagged it. And I was like, they've got to change that in the 2007 film. Like they can't do that. (laughs) Right. Um, And especially when we turned on the movie and it was a contemporary time, it doesn't take place in the Mm seventies. And so when I saw that too, I was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, something else has got to happen that allows Leslie to go off on her own. But besides that one major flaw, I think of the movie that kind of, I guess not, it's not a huge flaw. I think it's just kind of a plot hole that they didn't really think through. The movie got me so much harder that it hit me so hard we got to the point where he sees Leslie for the last time and she kind of turns like with the dog. And I was like, you know, okay, like that's sad. Like we know that that's the last time Jess is probably going to see her. But then I just like fell apart. Like I could not stop crying at the very end. And then like you were saying, when we find out that the dad has kind of been the goblin running through the trees the whole time. And he like grabs him and he's the like dark master, the dark master. <laughs> and he's hugging him and he's saying like, Oh, it's not your fault. Like you shouldn't feel guilty. Like, I think that was kind of an added element that like, yeah. cause you don't really get that emotional closure mm-hmm. with the dad in the book. Right. So like then that was another layer that was making me cry. And then, um, gosh, what was the last I just like, I think the movie just really got to the heart of like why the book was probably special and has stuck with people. And now it just kind of, kind of can continue that legacy as I think it's really deep and layered. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. That's my journey. (laughs) Yeah. I rarely cry in movies as well. Sometimes I'm like, am I a sociopath? (laughs) Uh, But I, but this I'm happy to say, well, happy to say, it got me too. And only a few movies do that. The Truman Show, which is my favorite movie of all time. The ending always gets me. Um, I just recently watched the movie Mass, which came out uh, last year. Watched it on on the flight, the same flight. And uh, that got me as well. And then this got me. The scene with Mrs. Myers, the the strict teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yes, yeah. that when, when she takes Myers. Them, <laughs> yes, oh. seeing it really in the book, it's effective. But t- that actress, I think, she was kind of one note playing the strict teacher. And I'm like, okay, this is a little bit overblown. But mm-hmm. then that one scene where she changes gears and shares her own story of loss, that I think is very deep and extremely sad as well. And and that's what finally finally did the trick with me i also just watched the show peacemaker which robert patrick the guy who plays the dad he's in that and Mm. he also plays kind of an aloof dad in the show he's a villain a a racist character but he's uh, it's that same theme of the dad who seems like he is detached from his children and how that affects both parties 
And so to see him embrace yeah, Jess in the end, which is in addition, as you said, I think that was mm-hmm. that was really effective. <laughs> yeah, Sam, have you seen Power of the Dog yet? I have not, not yet. Okay, it's it's interesting because I think the way that they added the Dark Master as being that kind of jingly jangly mm-hmm. person, like he always has that sound, right, when he's mm-hmm. running through the trees. And then when I finally made the connection that those were his dad's keys, it really made me think of Power of the Dog because the whole idea behind that is that one person can be so toxic that it makes everyone else's life, it just brings everyone else's life down. And that's exactly how the dad is, unfortunately, only with Jess. And I think that's another thing that like really affected me was like we don't even really get an understanding of why he's so aloof like maybe he had a really tough childhood and and he sees Jess as himself or something we don't get a lot of expansion which I think is okay I think it's just heartbreaking to see that that's only affecting Jess and he sees that his dad treats Maybell differently that just like it it made me think of power the dog and that kind of like that motif of like the jingling keys that I didn't figure out until that very end part when he turns from the smoke kind of character to his dad, that like broke me down. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, ah, uh, and, and the whole, I think the whole religious aspect too was another layer that was so heartbreaking. Like to see those kids have that, that idea of like hell ground into them and then something real happens to them. And it kind of like takes this really abstract idea and then puts it in their face. And then they're like, they kind of have to realize like that's such a dark thing to give to children. Mm-hmm. That that part also was just another another layer of this book right. that really like affected me. Yeah, I think too that's why the book maybe being set in the seventies, some of that stuff made more sense to me too. Like for a dad to still be like super like I mean a lot of dads I think still are super like strict, especially with like an only son. But the whole like farm. Mm-hmm. Thing and chores and all of that makes it all made a lot more sense in that way for it to be set in the 70s and for a dad yeah. to be like no love because that's like not cool for me for me right yeah I just think they were able to add by putting it in like the 2000s they were able to add in other themes that ended up playing really well with the story that from reading it was just it was basically like Jess's dad was just never there and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he was there at the end so yeah yeah which is why the book is so mature for a young adult novel because you don't normally see themes of gender roles and how (laughs) sometimes men repress their emotions which when tragedy appears they're not able to express themselves in the right way because they haven't been brought up by their parents right and we see Jess like that comes out of Jess a couple times like he starts getting violent when his bullies are pushing back at him and it's really striking in the movie too when you see him punch the little kid it's so sad because you can see like he just doesn't know how to process his emotions and a lot of that is because his dad hasn't given him a good example of how to do that and like that's just such a heartbreaking scene because you know like Oh my gosh, to see that little kid like shut down during music class. Oh my gosh, that just really got me. Like, ugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's our boy Peta, and he's he's sad. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but well, speaking of the bullies, I want to get to one Janice Avery in a sec. But before that, <laughs> Sam, 
kind of overall, how do you think the movie translates the book? I think that the book added so much, kind of like how Laura was saying earlier, maybe it's just because it is young adult and stuff, but it felt kind of bland, uh, like not a ton mm-hmm. was going on. So the fact that they were able to bring Jess's drawings and their bullies to life in that cool yeah. way with the creatures, even if now they look fuzzy, but back in the day they looked good. Um, yeah. Like, I thought that was so added. Otherwise, like, how do you make a movie about kids really just playing in a bunch of sticks? Like, you can't really get us there and get us so invested to then drop us later. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the movie actually did a really good job, if maybe not a better job than the book, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I completely agree. I really feel like the movie was a little bit better. I would even say, I don't know, maybe a lot better. Because I just felt like it came off the page. I think, like, another thing that I really got from the movie was how young these kids are. Like, they're so young. And in my head, when I was reading, I think just because I don't have a lot of experience with children, I was still picturing probably a kid more around the age of, like, 15. Like, I I think I might have been just accidentally picturing more of, like, teenagers. But then when I saw Josh Hutcherson and Anna Sophia Robb, I was like, these are kids. And like, as soon as I saw that, I guess it it almost like deepened the emotion of like how, what a trauma losing someone that young is and like how different it is from even like, I mean, not much from a teenager, but it's like, when you're so young, it's like, you don't even really understand what death is. Like, you don't understand what that means. And so just seeing how young the kids were, like deepened it for me right off the bat. And that's what inspired Catherine Patterson to write the story in the first place, because her son, David Patterson, lost a friend, uh, Lisa Hill, at eight years of age. Uh, Lisa Hill was struck by lightning and killed at a, a freak accident. David Patterson didn't know how to conceptualize this and, and deal with it. And that's what kind of later in life, Catherine Patterson wrote this book as kind of a tribute to Lisa, but also kind of showing kids how this can happen. And David Patterson is a producer on this movie. Oh, really? He's had the right... So this movie has been, before it came out in 2007, a few studios had bidded for the rights for it to just take it off of David Patterson's hands. But David Patterson wanted to stick to his his mom's writing and honor his mom, who, st- you know, his mom is still alive. But he really wanted the movie to be right. And a few studios pitched like maybe Leslie shouldn't die. Maybe should be in a coma or survive in the end. And David Patterson was very adamant that the story remained the same, which kind of puts, man, I can't imagine being a director making this because so the advertising, it pitched it as a kid's magical kingdom adventure movie, which it is for most of it it hid the fact that it was a movie about death and you're kind of put in a, between a rock and a hard place when you're pitching this movie, because how do you, because the whole point of it is that the death is unexpected. So how you can't advertise it, but to not advertise it also feels wrong, Mm -hmm. you know? Cause you need to give them, you need to give at least parents a little bit of heads up. And I think, it's okay if you kind of have a conversation with your kid maybe beforehand. I don't know. Again, I'm not a parent, so don't like take this as a grain of salt, but kind of like to prepare your kid or something, or at least for, 
I don't know, some kid out there who may have lost a friend at a young age. Like you don't want to re-traumatize them by walking into this sight unseen. So yeah, it's, that's a tough sell, but I think it's an important story to have out there. It's just maybe yeah. have a little disclaimer. I don't know. Yeah. They needed Definitely. like trigger warnings for parents to, cause I can't, I don't know. I don't remember if I asked questions about death after, but being 10, I don't think I had, Definitely not with someone young, but I think I just heard of like other people's grandparents at that point probably passing right. away. But oh my gosh, if your kid really has no concept, and then are they like, oh my gosh, is my friend going to die tomorrow? Like, I can't imagine those conversations that then parents are like, oh gosh, I'm crying in the theater. My kid is like inconsolable. Thanks for that. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's tough. It's a tough sell. I, I'm an aspiring filmmaker, but I can't imagine being given this material because you're kind of, you know, it's just so heavy. And that's the point. And uh, this book has been banned in certain areas in, in the past. You know, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, that's well here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Catherine Patterson has been confronted by people saying the death of a kid, is, this is not appropriate for kids. And Catherine Patterson's response is like, you're right. It's not appropriate. That's the point. Like this is life. This happens. That's what I'm trying to convey here is that sometimes there are no answers to these things and they just happen and it's tragic and it's sad. And so I really like your stance there. And that's David Patterson's stance as well is that it's kind of important that this is so adult for kids. Well, Sam, tell me what you think about this too, because I think one of the most devastating parts of the book and the movie is where it leaves us because we don't have, like Danny was saying, we don't have any real closure about how this is going to affect Jess in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's devastating to see him have that conversation with Leslie's dad in the very end when he's driving away with the dog. And we kind of are left like without a bottom of sadness. <laughs> like there's, there's no like safety net, I think for, viewers and readers I think the one thing that was nice about the movie is we have a really sweet moment with Judith at the very end when she I think we also get the emotional depth that Leslie brought to Judith when she was consoling her like we get that little moment in the book but in the movie when she comes and sits next to Jess and sort of has that like little I don't even I think it's an unspoken moment of like we both lost someone I think we get a little bit of hope in the movie that maybe he'll have someone now to lean on. Whereas in the movie, it's just like, that's it. You know, there's no, there's no, like no one for him to share that with other than his sister in a way, which also at the end of the movie just makes me sob. (laughs) Like that whole, that whole thing. Oh, don't get me started because I'll start crying. But anyway, what did you think about like the difference between the end, like where it leaves us emotionally? (laughs) Yeah, I, when I just watched the movie again the other day, I was like, oh, I wish they had like an epilogue, like a 10 years later, which normally I don't wish for those because normally I'm quite disappointed. But for that, it's, we don't even know how much time has really passed since Leslie died either. So it really seems like she died on a weekend. He went to school on Monday, The bu- he punched the bully, and then the parents are leaving within like no amount of time. I don't know. For me, it just seems really, really fast. And then he puts together yeah. the bridge for Maybell and it's sweet, but it was just like, okay, so is he like all cool now? Like we have our princess. Right. 
and that's great. But yeah, I this is the only time when I was watching it yesterday. I was like, I need an epilogue or something just to tie it up. And that was mm -hmm. also different in the movie. You really get to know his bullies a lot more. Mm -hmm. And in the book, they're just like kind of punks. And but yeah. in the movie, they're like doing things and picking on him all the time with like the annoying like beep 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 like that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I I think it could have had an epilogue, and it was sweet that in the movie they threw in him and Janice like bumping elbows. Oh, Janice. Yeah. 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 I said Judith. You're right. It's Janice. <laughs> yeah. Perfect segue, Janice Avery. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, me. we're gonna. <laughs> We're we're going to put up a side-by-side -side between Sam in fifth grade and the actress who plays Janice Avery because I am not being hyperbolic here. They look identical. So much so that we paused the movie and texted Sam, Sam, did you recommend this movie because you're in it? Like, we know it's shot in New Zealand, but... How did you get to New Zealand? Because it's not that they look similar. It's that they look identical. And they even, even with the haircut, I think I've seen a picture of you as a kid having that exact same haircut. The straight bang. That yeah. was so in for us. Yeah. yeah. And we're, in, we're introduced to, to Janice on the school bus and she throws a sandwich at Jess and it sticks to his back. And then she goes, consider it a free lunch program, farmer boy. <laughs> And I'm like, that. that is Sam. Not only does she look like Sam, but sounds exactly like Sam. I didn't know you when you were in fifth grade, but I assume that's your voice was a little bit higher pitched like mm -hmm. that it is now. So it, crazy. And, and You should have opened the episode saying our guest was Janice Avery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More people would have watched or listened in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so as as the movie goes on, this actress has a few different looks and starts to stray a little bit from Sam. But this opening scene... I think it's the lack of eye makeup yeah. in the opening scene. Because mm -hmm. as she goes on, there's kind of some weird... It, I, I guess maybe it's just, you know, supposed that she's kind of experimenting with her looks and stuff like that. But unfortunately, I think it takes away from how cute the kid is. And it looks progressively less like you but yeah that first mm -hmm. shot my yeah. goodness I yeah. do <laughs> agree when re-watching it I was like okay when you sent it I was like <laughs> I've never been roasted at 7 50 <laughs> in the morning because I got you sent it late at night and with our time difference I was like yeah okay of all people Janice Trollfoot Avery wonderful <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I when I watched it and I mean I probably would have thrown a sandwich at my sister and said something. So <laughs> it might not have been that far off. In that scene, even Nate was like, yeah, they've got a point. <laughs> and later I was like, okay, the heavy eyeliner, the absolute nutso style choices going on. Yeah. I was like, I think we've deviated. I had to look it up on my phone. I was like, maybe she's still like my doppelganger. Like, what if we still look it up, like look the same and we don't look the same anymore, but in that Not one scene, I'll, I'll hand it to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll let our listeners decide on, on Instagram <laughs> yeah, we'll and Facebook. A, we'll put a side by great. side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not that we have a point. It's that we have a, a proven thesis that you are the same person. Um, 
Yeah, but let's dive into that. So the movie definitely adds way more scenes with Janice, but also adds another bully character. So in the book, Jess's big rival on the the race course is Gary Fulcher, but the movie also adds little Adam Mayhew. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> um, he's our friend who's, who's a redhead, um, but a character Scott Hoger as well to kind of double down on the amount of bullying Jess is receiving. So yeah, let's dive a little bit into that and how the movie seems a little bit more effective with its point of adding some more scenes with the bullies. My only thought on that is that I think it shows the chain of trauma, like how kids just kind of perpetuate that. And you can definitely extrapolate that something's going on with the main bully at home or in his life. And he's then taking that out on not only the people he bullies, but also his friends, because he sort of instigates a lot of that bullying behavior from the people that he hangs out with. So I think it just shows that sort of chain of like trauma that happens when you abuse a child or a child is just not in a great situation or really struggling with things and can't effectively emotionally process them. So I think instead of taking away from that, I think it just kind of drives home the point of, you know, your actions have ripples, right, to Mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. I was thinking, too, how interesting it was that it seemed like they had from kindergartners to eighth grade all together, all at recess. Mm. I think ours was kindergarten to fifth grade, sixth through eighth, high school. Yeah. And, like, how do you have a Janice Avery being able to take Twinkies from a Maybell? That Mm. alone, the the meanness that kids are able to go from when they're six versus they're 13 is really different. And just, like, Janice was a big bully as in in like stature she was like a bigger just more mature woman being able to bully little beanpole she called her leslie Mm -hmm. and even the boys that were more they were in jess's grade and they were more his speed but just the fact that they were all on the playing field together made me so uncomfortable because I was like, why are these people given access to even make a five-year-old pay to go to the bathroom? Yeah. I just thought that was crazy. I don't know if that's just what happens when you have a small, more rural school maybe, but. Could be. Definitely. That's a really good point because I definitely had the same experience of like kindergarten through, or actually I think when I was going to school, the kindergarten had a separate like outdoor gymnasium that we didn't leave. Mm-hmm. And I think first through fifth was on the separate playground and then sixth through eighth and then ninth through 12 so were obviously completely different schools. So that's a really good point. Just having that like physical difference, even between Janice and Leslie. And I think that that's a really good way of like visualizing how like physical and emotional differences in kids that young are like so the spectrum is just so large, you know, you can have like the tiniest, like eighth grader and the largest kindergartner. And you'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> like these kids are playing together. That's such a good point. Yeah. It would seem like mayhem. Yeah. There. But it's so cute that like Jess's younger sister can be like cheering him on at the same yeah. time mm-hmm. when he's racing. Like, that's just so sweet. I literally, like, I have a note that Jess's sister is so goddamn cute because everything she does, and when she cries, Sam, like, when you were talking about when he shoves her, and, like, when he runs, when she runs to her dad 
crying like that alone was making me tear up because she's just like her little face just like melts into this like picture of sadness it's just like so hard to see a kid go through that emotional (laughs) sadness and like not cry yourself it's just so devastating yeah those recess scenes in particular are pretty effective it spoke to me when I saw it in eighth grade because that is a real thing in recess when the boys are playing sports to be beaten by a girl is a big deal it's like a huge a huge thing obviously it, it shouldn't be but it also speaks to that kind of themes of breaking down these gender roles. I'm very impressed with that. Something I wanted to transition to, a big difference between the book and the movie is how Catherine Patterson overtly foreshadows Leslie's death a few times. And I wrote down some of the uh, lines. So at one point when Jess is taking Prince Tarion across on the rope, the line is, just took Prince Tarion across inside his jacket, but the puppy was growing so fast, he might pop the zipper any time and fall into the water and drown. So that's that's one of them. Then, kind of more specifically, after the church scene, when Maybell says, well, Leslie, what if you die? And, oh yeah, and then right before the scene where Jess learns that uh, Leslie has died, he was saying that he'd pay it was worth any price to go out on this date with the teacher. And I think in the movie, it's a little more abrupt and there's, there's not these breadcrumbs, but at the same time, as we've discussed before, that's kind of the point where death does come out of nowhere. So I kind of want to discuss whether that was a better decision to not foreshadow the death or worse. I feel like in the movie there's only like one ish time it's right when they get the rope and i feel like josh hutcherson is like oh like me it's really old mm-hmm. it could snap and she's like oh no it's enchanted whatever and that's right. cute and fun but he said i'm pretty sure he says that like verbatim it could snap it's been there for years like we don't know so i mean that's not enough foreshadowing to tell you to leave the theater now but um I don't know I think the movie was effective because it's abrupt and they didn't have to use Leslie and show any of that either which obviously makes it abrupt but the fact that that's really it she turns in the rain and waves and walks away and then in the book they talk about it a lot like oh does she have a body like do you get to go see her laid out which that was bizarre maybe that was just normal language back then but I'm not a fan of open caskets. So I was like, that's weird for all of Jess's siblings to be like, oh, are you going to go see her? But that was also Mm -hmm. really difficult in the book for him to know, oh my gosh, she was cremated. I'm never seeing her again. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I did was like betray her by not inviting her Mm -hmm. on my date. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think the movie did it well. Yeah, I think one of the most heartbreaking things, because I think you're totally right, Sam, and also Danny, they don't foreshadow it a lot when you know, like we talked about earlier, when she turns around and you know this is probably the last time he's going to see her, that's probably kind of the only flag because it kind of goes into that slow motion, you know, Mm. soft camera lighting moment. And obviously having read the book, you know that this is the last time. I think the thing that really got me though was not that foreshadowing. 
it was when he runs into his room and he goes to look at the picture that he's drawn of her because he kind of realizes like that's the only visual that he has to like connect with that was just devastating to me because he probably didn't have a photograph and I think like that's if they had had a photograph of them taken together that would have been really cheesy you know because then he could have like gone back to the photo like I didn't like that I loved that they had the picture that he had drawn and I think that also just shows how like they would never think or young kids would never think we need to like capture these moments to remember them they're just having such a good time and they had such a limited time together that that was the only thing that he has to like remember her by Oh, I just, mm-hmm. I thought that was really impactful. Um, yeah. And devastating. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then the fact that he like puts that on her little, we get that closure with the little, um, like little sailboat that he mm-hmm. makes and sends down the river that is not in the book. And I thought that was a great visual way of telling us that he's going to be okay at some point, even if we don't get that epilogue that I, I think would also be very helpful <laughs> for us to sort of like see that he's going to be okay. But yeah, that was really, that was one point that really got me. Mm-hmm. And with him drawing her little photo, she was like his only supporter in any of that as far as buying him paints and like kept yeah. nosing over the back of the bus like, hey, you're pretty good, kid. And that yeah. was just so sweet. And I think that a lot of times that's how kids that young like make friends. Like you just go yeah. compliment them on something and you're like, yay, we're besties. And it's just sweet that she really was, like, supporting him at age 10 to, like, go for his dreams. And he was able to, like, capture her little essence. It was just sweet. Yeah. And actually, now that we think about it, too, I don't know if this was intentional, but having the movie be a little bit less foreshadowing about her fate is a little more true to the actual story. Because... It's almost more shocking that that little girl was hit by lightning and killed rather than it having been an accident, like hit by a car or drowning or something like that, which is there's almost an explanation for that more than a bolt of lightning out of Mm -hmm. the fucking sky. Like, you know, so it's like it's almost more true to the trauma that the real kid experienced and like not even having an explanation for how you're friend died mm-hmm. it's just, it was just like a fucking bolt of lightning like are you kidding that almost makes it a little truer to the story so I don't know if he had any hand in that or if that was something that they discussed but it's just yeah I don't know it's just so shocking and not having an answer is so traumatic for something like that definitely yeah we could talk about the school teacher oh <laughs> Zoe <laughs> she was so well cast I think that was a perfect casting it's so funny too that his name is Jess and the whole time we were watching the movie I was like who's that girl? <laughs> it's Jess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's she's just the perfect cast for a cute teacher, music yeah. teacher that some kid would have a crush on. That they just nailed it. I'm not personally her biggest fan. I I don't love her acting sometimes, but Blasphemy. and she kind of well and she also she but she has that like quirky like caricature well, right, that she yeah. plays in She's all, in the all pixie, of the movies. Yeah, man, pixie girl, like, <laughs> so, awkward. Like, yeah, so it was, yeah, so it was so funny when she came in and I was like, oh, of course, of course she would be cast as a right. music teacher. But at the same time, for this movie, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how strange the situation is that they put her yeah, in. Yeah, I think she was just 
shorthanded because that's how it was written in the book. Exactly. Yeah. It was cool that she was providing a fun Friday afternoon with the students as a music teacher, but then definitely weird. I don't know why that was how we're going to get Jess out of the house. It seems working on a farm, there were probably a multitude of ways you could get him out of the house. It wasn't so like, what's going on? Like maybe you just go help dad at the hardware store for the day or I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I did like how the movie, or I don't know if I liked it, but it is interesting that in the movie, she's at the, like paying her respects at their parents' house. And he's like, I almost trying to shift blame. And be like, yeah. next yeah. time we should invite Leslie, she would like that. And yeah. bye. Like, I thought that was really yeah. interesting that they added that in because if they hadn't, she would have seemed even more out of place in the whole story, I think. Yeah, like the opposite of a deus ex machina, right? Like, she's the reason that that happens. Mm-hmm. And then, but that's it. Then she disappears. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they definitely should have change that scenario she should have been working at like a drive like a can drive or something like that and she needed extra help and so he came to the school and he had the opportunity to invite leslie but he didn't uh so to go with the original choice of that date at the museum very weird so weird that i remember watching it in eighth grade my mom who is a fifth grade school teacher she said out loud that would never happen (laughs) even in the 70s. Right. Uh, well, even the fact that I think they tried to cover it in the movie because she calls Jess and again, speaks directly to him, doesn't speak to the mother, which is odd, who's home, right? I mean, or the father, obviously, it could, could have been either one, but he's out of the house at the time. And yeah, she speaks directly to Jess and she tells him that she was going to take her nephews to the museum. And I think that was almost their way of trying to cover and say like, oh, she's already out and she maybe didn't want to waste the trip. But because of how strange the situation is, it almost sounds like an excuse. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it just seems so out of place. Like, oh, um, I really, I've singled out this one kid that I want to spend time with. And so I have a cover for myself. I'm going to say that I was going to take my nephews and their plans changed. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think they tried to cover it up and they just really should have leaned into that not being the scenario at all. Yes. <laughs> it was just the wrong call. That was a case where David Patterson, who also co-wrote the movie, mm-hmm. of sticking so close to the source material that that's a flaw for mm-hmm. sure. Another flaw I wanted to bring up is they shot this film in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, they did this because they wanted to be close to Weta Digital, which is the company that um, did all the special effects. They're the same company that did the effects for the Lord of the Rings movies. But when you're shooting a movie, when you cast extras, you always cast local. It wouldn't make any financial sense to bring people from other countries for an extra part, a non-speaking role or one line. And you can tell a lot of the actors are covering up their uh, New Zealand accent with their fake American one. And it always sounds, it always sounds goofy. And I, we laughed at one line, oh, right before the Janice Avery scene, when he gets on the bus and the bus driver's like, I try to keep my pit stops under 10 seconds, Ace. And it's like so weird. It's like, that's not how words sound. We kind of felt, uh, another fun fact is during the singing scenes with Zoe Deschanel, 
all the kids singing that was all dubbed over because in the original cut you could hear the New Zealand accents. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah. funny. Also, the, yeah. So a lot of the extras sound weird to me, and it's I think because I knew that there are New Zealand actors, kid actors speaking in American accents. I, I was looking for it. So I might have kind of ruined the movie for anyone listening to this, but if you look out for it, it's a little, it's a little awkward. I didn't necessarily notice it in, but especially with the kids, I can see how that would stick out because they're, they're kids. You can't yeah. really like accent or coach them to have like an accent, especially, I think that's probably why they stayed away from specifying an area of the country in which this took place. I think it's also a little vague in the book, but maybe it's supposed to be like Pacific Northwest or South. Is it in the book? In the South? It because they go to Washington, DC. So they're supposed to okay, be in see, like so, okay. rural Virginia, probably. So yeah. I was expecting You're everybody right. to be like twangy and southern right. sounding. And that's interesting. I didn't pick up the New Zealand accents, but I guarantee you, if I watch that again, I'm gonna be like, that was off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a party pooper, right? I brought up something that no one was thinking about. But now, if you look out for it, it's very um, easy to spot. The second thing I want to bring up as flaws are, at the time, the visual effects were great. But I don't think they've aged well at all. This is interesting. I have a different take. But Sam, and yeah, finish your thought. And I want to hear Well, that's my thought. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of... The point is that it's a fantasy world, so it's not real. But there's such a detachment uh, between the real elements and then the imaginary elements that my film snob brain couldn't focus really on the adventure elements. So that, that took me out a bit, a little bit. It's even more ironic considering they were so close to wedded digital and like Lord of the Rings, those movies hold up, but this didn't really for me, so... What about you, Sam? What did you think? I thought they did a great job with the, like, the creatures have all held up. What absolutely did not make sense was any time they were running. And all I could think the whole time was of Twilight. I'm a big Twilight fan, too. So, and <laughs> at one point, they're climbing the tree to see the whole kingdom. Uh -huh. And it is the same exact motion that later Robert Pattinson will do when he's like, hold on tight, spider monkey. Like, that's all I could think. And they're like running through the forest. And I was like, as if you could catch. Me. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, I was like, oh, I know this came before. I think it came before Twilight. But I, that's all I could think whenever they were doing like a running imagination thing. I was like, this does. I don't know if that ever looked good. But I did like <laughs> how they did like those the scroglers or whatever they called like the flying yeah. squirrel bully and the big Janice Avery troll. Yeah. I thought those held up, but not the running. <laughs> That's so interesting. Cause when I saw the running, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is star Wars because when they go to the first person point of view, it's like the speeders on Endor. And I was like, my goodness, this is ripped straight from star Wars. Um, but it totally makes sense. You're right. When they do the fast running thing, that's t also totally Twilight. But I actually thought going back to the visual effects, I thought that they were very fun. And I think that if they had tried to be a little bit more, well, let's see, how do I want to say this? I thought they were really fun. And I also thought it was really nice that it took Jess a little bit of time to see mm. what Leslie was seeing. 
And because they were so different from the reality that we saw when they weren't in Terabithia, I actually thought that it was really fun. And I thought it really kind of spoke to the imagination that kids can have and that they can sort of create around themselves. And in fact, I was really impressed by, we talked about this before, but about the dark, what is it? The dark? Dark master. Master. I Which was, is not in the book. Nope. Right, yeah, that's not in the book. I was really impressed when it finally came around that that was his dad, but you never got a good visual of like what that was except for that little key belt. Mm-hmm. And then I there was this one point where I think it's with the, the troll or with the some tree entity yeah. that it fades into the tree and you can see the outline, mm-hmm. but you can't you can no longer see like the face. And the way that they like blended that in with the nature that was around them and the trees, I was like really blown away. Mm -hmm. I thought that they did some really cool elements and like things that were very, like you could see as an adult, you could be like, oh, a kid would absolutely see that as as a troll or like the, the footprints. I thought that was really well done where you could see it was just, it was really just like a pit, but to them it looked like a footprint like that to me like really evoked how I used to play as a kid and I, I so I thought I was actually very impressed with the way that they oh, did I, I agree with you a lot of that stuff with what they were trying to accomplish with the effects too of how it represents the, a kid's mind working I definitely agree with you there that troll moment with the trees uh, was particularly inspired but the other stuff I think I'm just being a Grinch about it yeah but, I don't uh, know a grump um, I, I can definitely be particular about that too like when I watch the Harry Potter movies I don't know if it's the same with you Sam but like some of those Quidditch (laughs) scenes they literally look like you're playing the Quidditch Mm -hmm. uh video game and it's it's just so bad (laughs) you're like it's like tough to watch because you know it's just all completely digitized but in this like they were imaginary creatures and it was just kind of fun and it was what the kids were imagining so I didn't really have a an issue with the way they were rendered I, it, it didn't bother me when I was a kid watching it, but... But now you're a cynic. <laughs> well, now I'm a cynic, but also as a kid, I remember wanting... I just wanted more scenes of that stuff. And as we've discussed ad nauseum by this point, that's not the point of the story. Um, <laughs> the point of the story is about loss. But I think as an adult watching it, I was a little let down by that. As a kid, I liked those elements. There just wasn't enough mm-hmm. for me. So speaking of Terabithia broadly, this brings us to the next big difference between the book and the movie. So the actual scenes in Terabithia take up about 12 to 14 pages of the book. And there's not a lot of description in these passages either. It's kind of leaving it up to your interpretation. Whereas the movie takes the stance of actually illustrating what the kids are seeing but also expanding on that with the aforementioned Dark Master and the big Janice Avery troll, as well as the the squirrel monsters, the beep, 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 and the the flying hawks and and all that stuff. This is a double-edged sword here because to see it visualized as a kid, I, I thought that was cool and I liked that, but I also was saying earlier that I wanted more of that, not realizing that it was the story was not about Terabithia, it was not about magic, it was about death. So I think, oddly, the movie still doesn't have enough Terabithia in there, but the book also 
by not illustrating it really at all leaves a lot to be desired. So I would have wanted more descriptions of Terabithia in the book, but seeing that visualized in the movie also, again, leaves me with that feeling of like, I wanted more scenes with the magic of Terabithia. And that end when he's, it's a beautiful ending with his Maybell of showing, you know, the new uh, princess into Terabithia, but it's like, okay, and now next scene of them doing stuff, but it ends very on that bittersweet note of just his face. And it's like, oh man, I, I want more. Did, did you feel the same? Um, I guess I didn't think about it. Yeah. Sam, <laughs> but... any thoughts? I just like how the movie, you can really see it in the, the copy of the book that I read recently, the only, it had some pictures in it, but none mm-hmm. of it was Terabithians or whatever Terabithians it was it was just like pictures depictions of Leslie and Jess so I was had no idea what we would really see in the movie and so I think I was happy with the level of it but I did think at the end when he is showing Maybell I was like whoa this like it all got thrown in there at the end where before it was still like real world with the imagination and then it was like green screen here come all these people with birdcage bodies and things right. we haven't seen before but that was just probably what we were supposed to make up in our head I don't know you know yeah now that you say that I think that was maybe a little bit of a misstep there was too much in the very end because I think maybe the one mechanical issue is that two kids are going to see Terabithia very differently even if they're imagining even if they're verbalizing that they're seeing the same thing they're still going to see you know different things in their imagination so to keep it light and to keep it sort of grounded in the nature is smart because then we can kind of fill in the gaps ourselves but then in the very end especially with the age difference between Maybell and Jess you're like those imaginations are not going to mesh they're they're not going to be seeing the same things So if he had more of like taken her up to the treehouse and sort of said like, this is your kingdom, like look over, (laughs) you know, your kingdom. And it wasn't that valley. It was more realistic of like, this is the forest that we now get to play with together and share. Maybe that would have been a little bit more grounded. And we've talked about this so many times, but when you do things mechanically or you do things not CGI'd, you're going to, that's going to last a lot longer. Yeah, and practical I think, is the way Yeah, the go. practical effects, yeah. And so I think that last scene kind of like loses the heart a little bit. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, again, like one of the funnest things to see and something that really took me back to my childhood was seeing their, their tree house with the little tins of like, you know, a fish hook and a cookbook or something that they kind of like gathered from their parents' houses or Mm -hmm. like found along like keys and stuff like that. That's stuff that I used to do. Like I would collect things and then sort of imagine that I was like solving a mystery or, you know, like I'd use those little bits and pieces to fill in my imagination. So I think that they, they could have been a little bit more creative using those things that kids do play with practically rather than sort of like filling in those gaps, mm-hmm. the CGI. Maybe that's what you were missing. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I completely agree. I think you hit the nail on the head. I The ending it is both too much, but also a tease of like all this mm. stuff. And maybe if they did something more artsy, like showed Terabithia through the reflection in Maybell's eye, like mm-hmm. they zoom into Maybell, 
maybe the movie should have ended on her mm. illustrated through her eyes you see stuff moving but you're still on well it's so funny yeah now that you say that too this is taking me back to the movie so something it, this is such a tiny detail but something that i was actually really i almost fixated on that really bugged me was that when he builds that beautiful bridge, like obviously it's a little silly because you're like, okay, he built this in like 10 minutes. He has a a future in carpentry. Right, obviously. He's the new Jesus. (laughs) This like magical carpenter (laughs) that like, yeah, that has like a couple of boards and suddenly it's like this covered bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like kind of sweet. It kind of goes with the idea that it's a little bit mystical and maybe the timelines are a little bit shortened and whatever but he made this beautiful crest shield to go over the covered bridge and he painted it with paint that leslie had given him and it was just, it was this beautiful little wooden piece that some prop master probably put a lot of time into <laughs> and as he's taking maybell over the bridge it is in, it becomes enchanted and we see that bridge sort of melt into this cgi'd mystical bridge and it replaces all of his hand done stuff and that little crest actually gets replaced by this gold thing that says like welcome to terabithia or something and that actually really bugged me i i fixated on that and i was like he or you know some prop master again like put so much time into this beautiful kid's idea of what a special crest would look like and they completely overrode that with a computer software like algorithm. I was like, you know, that really took away some of the heart for me. So if they had left that bridge the way it was and they had, you know, again, done something a little more practical, I think it would have kept a little bit of heart in there. I guess it's just mm-hmm. restating what we already did. But that one shield like actually stuck out to, stuck out to me. And I was like, they should have kept that cute little handmade one. Mm-hmm. That's gosh darn kiwis ruin everything with their special <laughs> effects. Um, yeah, maybe that's why they supplanted the Lord of the Rings franchise. It's being filmed in the UK now. Oh yeah, and the the Hobbit movies are yeah. not good, so that's why. Well, that but the set is good though. I went to Hobbiton. In yeah, right. Yeah. NZ, and that was actually really really sick. But but again, because it was all practical. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, Danny, what you said with her eyes, it would have made a full circle because when Leslie first reads her essay, mm, she just yes. sees the fishies in his eyes and then the yes. bubbles come. And that was a really cool part. And that would have been like a full circle. Like I'm seeing like the magic in you that I saw in Leslie. Welcome to yes. the kingdom or something. Oh my I don't God, know. Sam, that would yeah. have been, that is such a good point. They had, the, te- they had the technology. They, they could have done it. <laughs> You're so right. That would have been such a fantastic full circle thing. It's so beautiful to see him visualize that in his imagination. You know what? It kind of seems like a decision made by studio execs of saying like, we need to have a shot in the trailer where they show Mm. Terabithia with all the creatures and the kingdom. Mm. And that's what they put in the, they did put that, that exact shot in the trailer, but it's the ending shot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, kids go in, expecting to see this mm. magical world and that's what ends the movie yeah and you're like ah yeah. oh, bummer interesting. yeah <laughs> they're marketing interesting yeah yeah but i mean again like how do you mark ah it, it's so I, tough yeah. well it is it is really interesting ya literature and ya films are tough in general because 
And I think like, this is why Disney is very successful. They make very smart films that hold up as children go grow older. I mean, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we still enjoy stuff like Toy Story, even though, especially mm-hmm. with the first one, like obviously the CGI <laughs> is not <laughs> incredible. Mm-hmm. But I think something, so for me, I enjoyed reading very dark YA when I was growing up. And yeah. I think that I learned a lot of really important messages from YA. One of my favorite... Of course, I love Harry Potter, and that will always have a very special nostalgic place in my heart. But I would say that possibly even more than Harry Potter, Lemony Snicket was possibly my favorite series when I was growing up. Those books taught me so much about like being realistic. (laughs) I mean, I think those books like really grounded me and kind of made me who I am. Whereas Harry Potter, like I always considered that as kind of a magical place to like escape to. But it's, it's so interesting because with Lemony Snicket, they're still very adult books and I still reread them. I think they're so smart, but you have to sort of pitch them in a way that's also accessible and that won't offend conservative adults, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to get banned in schools, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> Obviously, again, I think I can speak for all of us when I say like, these are important conversations to mm-hmm. have and like to expose children to because mm-hmm. these things happen. But yeah, I guess it, it would be interesting to interview like a YA advertising executive or something and just ask them like how do you try to target the right demographic with books in movies like mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> yeah that's got to be tough especially this story yeah on imdb there was a fact that came out in 2017 that up to that date this was the only disney movie that depicted a death of a main character who is a child hmm. so i don't know if that's changed wow. in the last five years but if there are any other stories movies that have that is interesting. But. I noticed too that this was put out by Disney, and that surprised me. I didn't realize that this was a Disney movie. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And with having sweet Josh Hutch in here as a child, <laughs> and then he goes on to be funny in RV, and then he becomes <laughs> Peter Malark, which was like, yeah. oh my gosh, bread boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is super. I mean, like you said, that. Uh, like Bridge to Terabithia is dark, but then we go on to read things like Hunger Games where kids are literally fighting to the death and we're like, cool. Yeah. Like, this is sad, but I'm going to come back and watch this. And like those books, I don't think those books are ever banned. So what makes that different? Yeah. Is it because they're like, I don't know, you only have to be 13, I think, to get put in the Hunger Games. I don't know, but. Yeah, it is really interesting. I think this is like, I think this is a more interesting conversation to have like in principle. Mm-hmm. YA is such a fluid genre. Like, you know, graphic novels count as YA and so do again like everything from Harry Potter to Lemony Snicket to Persopolis. To, like it's just a really interesting genre to like I don't know. Yeah. figure out which is fun too. Also a lot of genre fluidity is fun. Yes. <laughs> It's a big reason why I loved reading Call It Courage growing up. Mm. That's a very adult book, but we read it in third grade. So, Yeah, and uh, I don't necessarily think that Lord of the Flies is YA, but I read that in middle school, like, multiple times. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's like, we get it. When man alone in the wilderness, they <laughs> go crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. you got it. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, I can't, like, I sorry, I keep, like, hit, sort of, 
drawing this out. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse, but like, it's so frustrating that kids, people that are generations, kids are still reading stuff like Great Gatsby and Catcher in the Rye, which are like, they're fine, but it's like, that's not what kids are exposed to these days. Like kids need to be exposed to racism and death and stuff like they are dark things but like this is how we learn how to be responsible adults and like that's that's where fiction starts in children's Mm -hmm. development so it's like it is really important to have these conversations and sort of like push the genre forward rather than sort of getting stuck in like oh like to kill a mockingbird is a classic so everyone needs to read it it's like no we've moved on (laughs) like (laughs) you know so i think there's a place for this book but i think the movie might even have like a a better place now that it's sort of been updated even though it's a little flawed i think there's a yes. great there's a great place for this movie slightly flawed yeah i i do like yeah. the movie i feel like i'm saying a lot of criticisms on this episode that's overshadowing my overall take now that you mention it i josh hutchinson grew up to be and is a good actor not in a lot of stuff these days but he still is good don't think he's the strongest here uh same with anna Sophia rob is also good playing a character who you can imagine a young boy like remembering this. She is different from the rest, has this aura to her. Some line deliveries aren't the strongest. (laughs) And it it pains me to criticize two child performances because they're children. But that's kind of... But yeah, that's the thing. If Maybelle can bring it home, then what were they (laughs) doing? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Maybelle, that actor, I mean, her career seems to be blossoming now because she was like in the strangers sequel and she's kind of in a in a few tv shows but yeah she that performance th- that's the best performance in the movie oh, i yeah. think mm-hmm. um robert patrick is pretty good he kind of has been typecast as this mm-hmm. crotchety old d- dad um yeah. but yeah maybell that actress is the best performance in the movie what's her what's that actress's name uh, bailey madison so shout out Bailey Madison to her yeah her six <laughs> yeah actually that kind of brings up one of my last thoughts that I was going to talk about a huge strength in my opinion of both the book and the movie is that they did not focus on a love relationship between Jess and Leslie mm. I want to just applaud mm-hmm. both the director the writers and the author of the book for not making this a love story because I think for the age that these kids are, it would be, it's just not quite appropriate. And I think it's more devastating to have the friendship relationship be removed because with a young love, it's sort of that obsession. And you can even kind of see that in the crush that he has on his teacher. There's just sort of this like frenzied, I don't know what to do with my emotions and my energy feeling and that's just not true to the relationship in the novel or in the little you know it's very short it's like 80 pages but I'm just so happy that they didn't try to lean into that there was no complication in their relationship it was pure friendship love Mm -hmm. and I I love that (laughs) yeah I love that too because I feel like especially like girls maybe younger I don't know that was my experience but girls are told like no, you can't just be friends with a boy. Like, that's not yeah. how boys think. And I don't know mm-hmm. when that switch really changes in a guy's mind. But, like, I had guy friends and I was like, no, that's really all I see them as. And I'm eight years old. Like, what are you mm-hmm. trying to push 
yeah. on us. And yeah. yeah, so that is very special for kids to watch it and be like, it's okay to be friends and have like similar interests. They quip mm-hmm. a lot with each other in the movie of, oh, well, if a girl does this, then I do this or your dad's a writer and that's why you have an imagination. And she's like, so why aren't you into hardware? Like all of that stuff. I just think that friendship was just special. And yeah, there's like times where you're like, please don't do it. Oh, thank God they didn't do it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think they get so much more out of the friendship and you're right. Like it's all about a lot of the conversations in this piece are about gender roles and about how you're, not you should not be expected as a child to not be interacting with someone because you should like have a crush on them or not in in general um so yeah i think that's a really good point too yeah excellent point because they even delve into that further with the bullies who point out the fact that this relationship is atypical and oh oh yeah the 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 word sisters yeah Yeah. right yeah in the book that's present in the book or older sisters his older sisters call Leslie his girlfriend, but in the movie with the added layer of the bullies, it's really hit home. It's like society, these kids don't, aren't used to a platonic relationship between a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I think they both defend it really well too. Like they keep saying like, it's not my girlfriend. Like, yeah. Like stop trying to define it. I'm not a label. Stop trying to put labels. On yeah. Me. I'm trying yeah. to smash Zoe Deschanel. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. think I have an opportunity. <laughs> yes. She called me out of the blue for a date. <laughs> yeah. It's a day date, but still a date nonetheless. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that was my last, that's my last note on this. But yeah. like, yeah, like you said, overall, the book was, it came up a little dated, but I liked it. And I really was affected by the movie. So I can't say anything under four stars. It just like really got me i was an absolute mess at the end of this movie (laughs) it will do it to you like every time Mm -hmm. too like i've seen it multiple times my dad was a big like on cable he just turns on whatever movie and he's a big like kids movie or like he'll watch twilight he Mm -hmm. not sometimes he'll watch westerns but you'll catch him on soft stuff and yeah um yeah so i've seen so many bits and pieces and seen it through and every time I'm still like, this is just awful. Like, yeah. so sad at the end and you want it to stop. <laughs> yeah. And it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. keeps coming. <laughs> That's life, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, any last final thoughts, uh, differences between the book and the movie, similarities, fun facts? What you like, the floor is yours. Um, the only other thing I had noted was when I was reading it and they mentioned that Leslie gives Jess her Narnia books, her collection, cause he's never read it. And that's kind of how she even sets up. This will be like our Narnia, like mm-hmm. Terabithia will be our Narnia. And I was like, Terabithia is really familiar to me. And I thought it was just like a play on words, like Terra earth, who knows right. what Bithia is. And then I looked it up and it's a name of an Island in Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis called Terabinthia. So really, (laughs) Leslie just pulled a fast one on all of us (laughs) and stole it straight from there. But I just thought that was a fun little tidbit, I guess. Nice. That is really fun. I did the same thing because I kept wondering why it wasn't T-E-R-R-A. And it kind of bugged me because I was Mm -hmm. like, if you're going to have a land, 
why is it mm-hmm. spelled incorrectly? <laughs> but you're totally, I think that's a great little nugget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's the imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, yeah. Yes. Bringing the illusion to C.S. Lewis. And I guess very similar stories, not in the religious angle, but in the kids walking into a, a mystical, magical land. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a very smart nod there. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out director Gaber Kuspo. He's a Hungarian director. He made his career writing and producing Rugrats and the Rugrats <gasps> movies. No way! Yes, as no well way. as well as writing and producing The Wild Thornberries. So. <gasps> oh my god, that. two of my favorite kids shows. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So he mostly specializes in kids' cartoons. This was his first live-action movie. And he hasn't made a lot of movies, but I think he's responsible for a big part of our childhoods with Rugrats and Mm -hmm. Wild Thornberries. Two Um, of my absolute favorite shows. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to him. I feel bad to criticize certain aspects of the movie, knowing its importance. And same same with the story. I think we've all echoed our feelings of how the book feels slightly bland, but very important nonetheless. And the movie extrapolates those themes and visualizes it to make it more effective for kids. I've said what I needed to say. I I still have some qualms with it, but I'm a snob anyways. Am I right? You are. <laughs> listeners, listeners know that about me. <laughs> Sam, final rating for both the book and the movie Bridge to Terabithia out of four stars. Out of four stars. I think if I would have read the book as a kid, hmm. that rating would probably be like a 3.5. I think I would have loved it. And then now I'm going i'm gonna stick with the 3.5 because i just think it's really important for that loss theme and everything i mean there's so much more with all the bullying and all of that it's all very important conversations to have so if you can tee it up i think it's great i'm gonna give it a three and a half for the book in my early life and now and then the movie I'd say 3.75. I just love it. I think it's just special and nostalgic and we'll allow it. Okay. Thank you. We'll allow it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, one star for each now kidding. Um, (laughs) yeah, the, the book I would do, I would do a solid three. I think it's important and well-written, uh, the movie as well. I, I want to lower the rating more than a three for the movie, but I, think just the importance and the maturity of it for a kid's movie is impressive enough to to keep it above um, the three. I, I wish certain elements aged better in, in my eyes, but alas, that's where we are. All right. Well, Sam, you had already plugged your Instagram. Any other things, sources you want to plug? Where can people find you if you wish to be found? Yeah, just that bookstagram shmam on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we'll nice. we'll put your handle in the description too. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> yeah. And Wait, what was Laura's rating? Yeah, oh, I didn't get to read. Excuse, I I do this every typical man. Am I right? <laughs> typical right. white man. Losing right over. <laughs> I canceled. I'm canceling myself. <laughs> and you know what? This has happened in the past too. I, I I'm not intentionally doing it, but I just I steamroll. I I see the 
It's a character flaw. <laughs> Who am I to? I, I rate myself three out of four stars. Okay. It's still pretty hot. Uh, yeah, it's, it's still it's still a recommend, but it's not. I'm not perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, I because I don't have the nostalgia factor for the book, I'm going to give it a three. And I'm actually going to give the movie a four, which I think I said earlier, but it it just, it affected me so much. And I was just really impressed by how closely they stuck to the source material and how very layered, they just stuck a lot in here for an hour and a half movie. And I'm personally a fan of short movies. So the fact that they kept it short was also my cup of tea. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Movies are too long these days. Um, I say as someone who's going to see Batman next weekend and that (laughs) movie's three hours, but um, I'm going to love that. I'm not going. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, we can also shout out a movie similar in length that we just watched, Kimmy on HBO Max. It's rated R. So any kids listening, um, (laughs) right. Just don't tell your parents, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's 89 minutes, uh, starring Zoe Kravitz also in the Batman. Wow. We've referenced the Batman a few times in this episode, <laughs> but yeah, recommend that a nice little th- throwback thriller, fun, very relevant dealing with an yeah. Alexa adjacent type of technology. So yeah, it's just, they don't make them like they used to. Steven Soderbergh really is just pumping these movies out. So <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Kimmy. Anything else? And we're done. Yes. <laughs> I don't have anything else. I don't I don't really know how to end an episode dealing with childhood. Just like we normally childhood do. Death. Yeah. I'll oh. end <laughs> what? Just end it. Just wrap it. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of something something profound. You started with Tears of Bithia, so <laughs> yeah. how are you yeah. gonna round this one out? <laughs> Follow your dreams. And love thy neighbor. <laughs> Why did it get religious at the end? Uh, it has right, well, religious thank- themes. <laughs> I really, I really just spiraled there. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks for our coverage on the Underground Railroad. That's going to be another pretty heavy episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, we look mm. forward to that. Please rate, review, subscribe if you haven't already. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one.